Hello, and welcome to Banking Transform Solutions. It's a new podcast that provides financial institutions insight into marketplace solutions that can help organizations with their digital transformation journey. I'm your host, Jim Roos, founder and CEO of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. Competition in the financial services sector has never been more intense. Banking boundaries that were once defined geographically have expanded globally as a result of digital functionality. While the neighborhood financial institutions built their business on domestic transactions, today's consumers sending and receiving funds from all around the world more frequently than ever. Our guest is Stephen Cool, Managing Director, Financial Institutions Strategic Partnerships for Western Union. We discuss why offering international payment services can be a game changer, how to overcome hurdles, and what action steps every community bank and credit union must take now. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Great to have you on. Before we start, I want to thank you and Western Union for being part of our new Bank and Transform Solutions podcast. The goal of this podcast is to provide a new format that will discuss innovative ways that financial institutions can partner with market leaders to support their digital banking transformation. Now, while everybody is probably familiar with the name Western Union, few may realize the scope of how Western Union partners with traditional financial institutions in serving their clients and members' needs. I wonder if you could share a bit of a background on some of the services Western Union today offers. You bet. First and foremost, Jim, thank you for my involvement in uh, this forum. I'm very much looking forward to your your very uh, poignant question on Western Union. You know, Western Union, I think historically, uh, most of the broader public has affiliated with certainly uh, international remittances, uh, global in nature. In in that context, uh, Western Union, from just a a sheer ubiquitousness uh, with respect to where they're involved and, of course, their agent uh, locations, hundreds of thousands of uh, of formal tangible agent locations that are expansive uh, in just about every locale uh, one could imagine globally. But really, uh, Western uh, Union is involved in an array of international services that transcend the international remittance aspect uh, from a C2C consumer or peer-to-peer perspective. Uh, In particular, we provide a number of services in which essentially we're a a global uh, infrastructure backbone, if you will, provider to financial institutions, uh, uh, different shapes and sizes. I know we'll we'll be talking in greater depth uh, around that. Uh, Corporations all the way up to many of the the largest multinational blue chip. And then select uh, vertical markets that uh, we really have a a specialty in. Uh, Higher education, uh, medical, uh, as an example. There's an awful lot that happens in in some of these verticals that uh, are really focused on uh, the movement of international capital, uh, et cetera. But my particular involvement with Western Union is uh, in the financial institution segment, and we serve thousands of banks, uh, credit unions, other depository uh, and investment type, uh, type firms. You know, in my background in banking, you know, usually when it came to international funds transfer, which was more of an exception rather than rule in anything that I did, I would go to a big bank, knowing that they probably provided these services and find out how should I do it. And many times they'd lead me toward a wire transfer or something along that line. But from your perspective, what is the state of the union now with respect to how community banks and credit unions are embracing international services? 
I think it is uh, fragmented, Jim. And let me elaborate. This is a uh, an essential component. And I, I think when you look at especially the community banking and credit union realm, it's important. I know you've had prior guests that have elaborated on this, but the you know the backdrop is really uh, one with the community banks and credit unions. They've been a little bit late to the game in embracing, I would say international services at large and international payments perhaps uh, is is the most essential of those services. And I say that because if you look at uh, over the course of the last several decades, and you know we could look at you know the 1970 uh, to uh, present contemporary times, what, what we've seen is essentially trade as a percentage of GDP, that's gross domestic uh, product, uh, basically an indicator of our nation's output and overall macroeconomic vitality. Trade as a percentage of GDP has increased from about 10% in 1970 up to about 25% in present terms. Now, why is that important for community banks and credit unions? Because uh, at the same time, the community bank and credit union presence in the international payment market has uh, perhaps been eroded, not only by their larger brethren, the larger global banks, but of course, as, as you know so well, the emergence of the of the burgeoning or ever burgeoning fintech participants that they have both recognized, you know, the massive importance of international payments to their vitality. But I would say community banks and credit unions are playing a little bit of catch up in that regard, and it's uh, it's essential that they do. When you look at the connection points, as I refer to them as Jim, whether it's on an individual level or a small to mid-sized business level. And, and of course, that's the bread and butter of community banking, uh, credit union services. You know, really what that demonstrates is that they really need to be far more focused um, in uh, in both of those realms. Um, individuals, for example, if you look at just basic trends like how frequent uh, United States citizens travel abroad, it has uh, increased substantially over the years. Uh, I think on average, we. Uh, in present day t- terms, uh, have about 40 to 45 million, at least pre-pandemic, that were traveling uh, overseas of all U.S. citizens. That's in the vicinity of 15%. If you look at the small to mid-sized businesses uh, defined by businesses basically that have less than 500 employees, again, this should be the focal point, the bread and butter of community banking and credit unions, you find that 97 to 98% of those small to mid-sized businesses are the drivers of import or export activity, basically international trade activity. They represent 97 to 98% of all import export firms. So those two uh, uh, indicators we uh, we track closely. Uh, we believe they should be far more important to community banks and credit unions, but we, we have some work to do. We're chipping away uh, at promoting awareness on the importance of international and why it's so essential, especially in uh, an environment where over that same period of decades, if you look at, again back from 1970 to present, we all know there's been massive consolidation in community banks and credit unions yeah. to the point of about 3 4% per annum. And I would contend that as part of just the preservation of their economic viability, uh, their economic relevance going forth, international needs to be far more front and center what essentially happens is uh, when you don't offer (laughs) these services to the small mid-sized business community or the global minded individual because of the the interconnectedness, undoubtedly these prospective clients or clients um, look elsewhere and as a result, often pull additional business. 
So when you're looking at this smaller community bank and credit union, just your estimate, not that we're going to hold you to it, but what percentage of, of these size organizations do you think currently offer these services roughly? Jim, that's another very, very good question. And it's, it's, a, it's an illuminating warning. And I say that because when you um, look at community banks and credit unions, and one basic litmus test would be to simply go to their websites and look at yeah. how prominent, if at all, international payments, as an example, are embedded in their website. It's a, it's a minority. We, we estimate that somewhere in the vicinity of about 20%, maybe even a little bit less than that, competently offer international payment services in a digitally uh, competent way via their website or mobile application. So it's, it's certainly a distinct minority, Jim. Yeah, we, we are a little bit fond of describing it as kind of uh, yeah. one of the best kept secrets in community banking. And uh, in that light, we think that because of the latent uh, both revenue potential and the impact it has on enhancing their position with uh, within the small business banking environment, uh, individual high net worth banking environment, it's of critical importance that uh, it's made uh, a greater priority. Well, it's interesting because we're going to end up in a situation, you know, we're not traveling overseas now, but there's a lot of pent-up demand to travel. And, and it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. But when you look at the small percentage of community banking and credit unions that currently offer this international funds transfer, it's interesting because as you've mentioned a couple times here, these are the organizations that really their niche is that small business, that local business, the one that really needs a broader array of services now more than ever because they're buying things overseas, they're, they're sending money overseas. So when we look at this small percentage, there's got to be a barrier somewhere that has caused this beyond just maybe legacy mentality. What, what barriers have impeded the financial institution from offering international payments? And how does an organization, as you go and visit them, how does an organization get beyond these barriers? Jim, I would say overwhelming. The first is perception with respect to international and foreign exchange services. And, and I cite that because uh, with, uh, with great frequency, all the way up to you know, the, uh, the executive level, C echelon, there is a, a lack of, uh, of understanding and awareness along the lines of what we're discussing today with one, the importance of international to their economic competitive advantage in their respective marketplace and ultimately their constituents. But I would say, second, there's a perception that international and, and foreign exchange is uh, excessively complex or perhaps uh, on the risk scale, you know, is, uh, is riskier than, than truly it is. And that is, is an unfortunate. We, uh, we spend a, a lot of our energies on the education front specifically and working with banks and credit unions, you know, to address that. Um, it's a little bit ironic in that, Jim, a lot of folks don't realize that the foreign exchange market is the largest of all financial markets worldwide. It's the largest of all asset classes. Uh, most folks uh, assume it's, uh, it's, it's collectively the global stock markets, the equity markets, but it's, it's actually the foreign exchange international market. So we spend a lot of time on uh, education. If you talk with community bank executives, credit union executives, it really does start with that awareness of the importance of international to the institution and protecting their interests in preserving their client base and ultimately their competitive viability going forth. Uh, a lot of the community banks and credit unions, even uh, in today's world, Jim, if you were to ask a, a community bank or credit union executive, 
you know, tell me a little bit about how international is positioned at your institution. You may get a quizzical or semi-quizzical uh, look, yeah. and uh, ultimately, um, in the majority of instances, you'll find that uh, even with respect to strategic plans, there's little to no strategic thinking about its relevance, and in embedded in their PL and pro formas. There's oftentimes very little from a budgetary perspective planned out there. And it all starts with, uh, you know, formally connecting the dots to a, uh, an organization with respect to that awareness. So uh, the awareness is uh, a most critical piece. And as a secondary outgrowth to that, you know, we, um, we educate uh, clients really on our, uh, our services and how, um, how, how truly simplified they can be to integrate in with a community bank and credit unions overwhelmingly. And uh, Jim, for your uh, base, you know, international from a a Western Union perspective, you know, we are almost without exception, uh, what what I would characterize as a behind the scenes unknown participant. Um, We are not formally a bank here in the U.S. And so we work in partnership uh, with the financial institution community you know, to, to help their growth ultimately. And they don't have to, uh, to have concerns about us um, encroaching on broader traditional financial institution uh, pursuits in that light. Well, it's interesting because you mentioned it that, you know, a community bank does not have to have an international department. I, I worked for a very large bank was the beginning of my career and, and they still and have always had a, a relatively large international presence. But a community bank doesn't need to have a large international presence, but to let go of both the service that their their customers want and their members want, as well as a revenue opportunity, it, it kind of goes along the line of every other payment service. I mean, the banking industry as a whole has really let go of the competitive advantage they had in the payment space, opening the doors for fintechs and non-traditional financial institutions to offer payment solutions. And and really, when we think about, you know, the international payments marketplace, and as you said, the Western Union solution is a turnkey solution that really works behind the scenes, but it says it allows the organization a chance to say, we have this. It doesn't mean they're going to be working with what they would consider to be an international company. It's not going to be a goods company in many cases, but it may be a company that has many transactions every month that this organization now has to go to a big bank or ends up going to a big bank to get these services. And every time they do that, they're usually doing it in person. And they're usually doing it at a time when, you know, competitive marketplace says, you know, that that gives other organizations, competing organizations, a chance to cross sell them and say, hey, how about bringing the rest of your bank in here? So, from a competitive position, I would imagine that while it's not the biggest business around, it's a pretty important because most of these customers they would have are, as you said, the most wealthy and, and probably the more robust community small businesses as well, aren't they? Undoubtedly, Jim, that phenomenon that you just described, unfortunately, with, uh, with community uh, financial institutions, occurs uh, all too frequently. And we're trying to reverse that, uh, that, that trend. And uh, we're, uh, we're seeing results here within the community bank and credit union environment. That is exactly what occurs. Um, you know, when uh, a, a client, whether it's a small, mid-sized business, uh, perhaps it's a high net worth client that's doing some form of fiduciary banking, whether it's wealth management, investments, uh, et cetera, all the way down to individual clients who have their uh, uh, essential basic international remittance requirements. It may be, you know, electronic transfers to family members for support reasons. 
by not uh, providing those essential services, um, many of your most important clients uh, are uh, satisfying those needs and directing their broader business um, elsewhere. And, you know, we see that, you know, in the broader macro trends where uh, SME, uh, small, mid-sized businesses have been redirecting, uh, you know, their, uh, their, their business payments and otherwise. You know, the, the ease and simplicity of being able to offer international is, um, is often not appreciated. You know, we typically, with community banks and credit unions we work with, a, a front installation uh, period that really is uh, only a matter of weeks. We're not talking about something that is either capital intensive or uh, time intensive. Uh, to your point, uh, Jim, it's not something we have to employ uh, uh, significant internal resources. Indeed, whether it's via, you know, API open banking type medium or through our software that you can private label, uh, white label to the aesthetic preference of the community bank or credit union. It is uh, uh, a very rapid turnkey offering. This is what's baffling at times when I get into something that I'm not as familiar with. And I have to admit, before working with Western Union, I wasn't as familiar with, with the marketplace potential there. But how does it feel if you're in a community bank and you're actually telling a customer that's been a longtime customer, you know what, for that service, you probably want to go to the big bank down the street. The big bank that right now is the biggest threat to your business on something that you can offer, as you said, in a relatively turnkey manner, something that does not take that much time and effort to put in place, as you said, three or so weeks. So, you know, you're, you're from Omaha, so I'm going to use a Field of Dreams reference. We always say just because you build it doesn't mean the customer will come. A little bit of a play on the words of uh, James Earl Jones. But with regard to marketing the service, you can't just have it and, and hope the customer finds out about it. What have you seen in the marketplace? How have organizations, small organizations, marketed this product and this service in the marketplace? I, I would say uh, small organizations, unfortunately, the the, the small non-bank, uh, you know, fintech especially, and it's uh, it's interesting even for uh, an individual like myself who has been in, in this particular marketplace for three decades. It's it's always eye popping, Jim, to see the uh, the number of entrants in payments at large globally, and and I mention that uh, because it is a a telltale indicator. They recognize the immense opportunity here. Uh, with re respect to, uh, you know, payments, both domestic and international. But going back to your question, in terms of the presentment, you know, to the uh, the consumer or small business base, if you were to, to do a uh, back of napkin uh, survey uh, with community banks and credit unions, I suspect what you would find is number one, and this would come out uh, very, very prominently, um, a very, uh, very inadequate uh, uh, job of positioning international services, uh, inclusive of uh, foreign exchange services, international payments, um, international trade and finance services, uh, in a rather poor manner on uh, their all important uh, web <laughs> terrain, social media, etc. Oftentimes, literally, it's, it's one of the best kept secrets if they do offer it from a product perspective, it's embedded uh, somewhere in the you know, in the recesses of, uh, of the, uh, the organization from a uh, product promotion visibility profile right. perspective. And so one is, you know, working with them on how they can, from a digital uh, media perspective, really promote international uh, far more effectively. Uh, we're not just a, a, a system technology infrastructure, um, international payment processing provider. 
an immense amount of our energy is devoted towards that uh, that marketing. So we work uh, more and more frequently with the relevant uh, marketing uh, parties uh, internally at community banks and credit unions, um, going back to, you know, how do you uh, elevate your profile with respect to international? You know, again, the opportunity, this is not something that's what I would call a massive deal changer for financiers. They're not going to take an unprofitable organization, make it profitable. On the other hand, it's so much risk involved in actually having the customer either not come to you in the first place or get referred to going to a competitor to do what you can easily provide. You just mentioned that not only you're a turnkey provider, but Western Union is a turnkey partner from the standpoint of marketing. So you don't even need to have the marketer totally understand what you provide. But at the end of the day, you know, as you said, there's a lot of competitors out there. There's a lot of organizations that provide this type of service, but it gets down to speed and simplicity. And that's something because of your historical legacy that that you focus on since the very beginning. It's the foundation of your business. But to be able to offer it, it's, it's very similar to what I look at is, you know, there are some times when the partnership becomes stronger than you could have done it yourself. And and again, we're not talking about building a huge international department, even though that may be the, the direction some small community banks and credit unions go. But we have to find our niche more than ever. And to be able to offer financial services that meet the needs of our target audience. And our target audience with a smaller bank and credit union is the person, the higher income person who's probably going to be traveling internationally. And the, the small business that is doing business internationally more than ever. And that's only going to increase. This world is not only the United States or United States and Canada and North America, they're going to be doing business otherwise. So, you know, from the standpoint of what community banks and credit unions can do, what, let's say, three actions that you would recommend organizations do besides turning it on in the first place to improve their international positioning? I would say, first and foremost, it is uh, promoting awareness internally. It, it has, it's essential that there is internal awareness. And that starts you know, at the C echelon, the CEO, CFO, uh, throughout an organization. And we, uh, we look at it in a way, Jim, that it involves connecting the dots internally. And by that, I mean, you know, when you're working with a CEO, CFO, you know, first, they need to really understand what international represents, not, not in isolation, but with respect to their broader competitive vitality. What is the impact, uh, as you cited, uh, Jim, with respect to their uh, small business banking? What is the impact in their commercial uh, real estate lending, you know, CNI portfolio? Uh, with respect to the, as, as we all know, we're, we're very much metric driven. What is the impact international have on, you know, non-interest income, fee income, as it relates to, you know, the, the important metrics, uh, you know, return on equity. So we spend a lot of time educating executives, the influencers with respect to, you know, the, the real revenue potential of international in direct and indirect terms. And I can assure you that is something that has been overlooked uh, systemically in community banking and uh, in, in, in credit union realms. It, it just has uh, been something that uh, has not been taken into consideration. So we're yeah. changing that dynamic, but it does start with the awareness. Second is to develop a strategic plan to introduce in a competent way, a digitally competent way, 
international to their uh, uh, their constituency, both individual um, and, of course, corporate high net worth, as we're talking about. You know, unfortunately, most of the uh, the, the community FI realm um, offers international in a in a kind of a hidden behind the scenes uh, scene way that is often kind of branch or telephonic centric. Yeah. Um, yeah. And by that, I mean, it's it's by default uh, requiring clients uh, to uh, oftentimes uh, place a call in or, or uh, go to a branch. Well, we, we know that's not going to uh, uh, produce the desired end results. And then I would say third, um, as part of kind of the broader uh, scorecard, um, uh, both remuneration, compensation, recognition of internal employees, whether it's that um, that individual that's managing a branch all the way up to your commercial cash management treasury sales parties that interface with uh, small businesses, uh, et cetera, there needs to be uh, you know proper uh, remuneration and recognition within their framework, their compensation framework. And we find that uh, that has, uh, w- with respect to international, been lacking. You know, it's interesting because we look at this and when you look at the opportunity out there, you mentioned early in this broadcast that about 20% of community banks and credit unions currently offer this. We know that virtually every large bank, we're going to talk about the top 10 banks, offer this. And it, and that gap between the community bank and the the large bank, there's probably, they're offering it, but it's probably invisible, not only to the branch, but they'd have to make a call to say, do we offer these kind of services? You know, when you look at differentiation capabilities and community banks and credit unions are certainly looking for this, this becomes a differentiator. It, it Again, it's not the game changer, but you really want to have the risk of offering something where you're actually referring somebody, a good customer, to another provider. And when we talk about other providers, you know, finally, from your respect of uh, international transactions, who are the primary competitors in this space from a financial institution basis, either a big um, offering or maybe legacy banks, credit unions, or or maybe even the fintech firms? I would say, you know, first and foremost, the most sizable uh, tier one global banks uh, have been predominant, Jim. Um, You know, they recognize if you look at, for example, the last 10 years, global payments revenue has gone uh, uh, worldwide from about one trillion to two trillion. Those are some big, big numbers. Uh, And the primary uh, benefactors uh, have been the global uh, banks, undoubtedly. If you look at as a percentage, for example, you know, global payments revenue as a percent of overall global banking revenue, I believe it's in the vicinity of upper 30 percentile, 38, 39 percent. So it's a massively important component of global bank revenue. They have been the uh, the dominant participants. But, uh, you know, in the recent uh, de- decade, especially the advent of, you know, the very prominent fintech, as we we all know well, have uh, have complemented. Uh, the large banks. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I look at it more as a kind of an intertwined competitive network, if you will. You know, oftentimes international banks of prominence, for example, as you know so well, they partner with fintech uh, uh, firms and vice versa. Uh, they're reliant on each other in a, in a synergistic way uh, with respect to uh, the international marketplace. Uh, from an uh, international payment fulfillment perspective, oftentimes there are many uh, correspondent entities involved uh, in, uh, in completing an international yeah. payments. Well, it's interesting. And, and Stephen, I want to thank you for being on the show today. You know, what's important to remember and what you discussed is that this is a great example of where a partnership with an organization that does something the best in the marketplace can be 
worked with to build a solution that is easy to implement, where the partner's going to help you market it. It works to both your advantages, but really you're helping your customers and members. Because remember, when we're talking about international payments, if a consumer or a small business has to go to another institution, this will not be a seamless transaction because they currently don't have all their business with this other organization. So what's going to happen is what they want, which is speed and simplicity, is going to be impacted negatively by you referring them away from your organization as opposed to the capability of maybe having a digital solution that's as easy as a push button. And we have to remember as we're looking at options out there and looking for ways to differentiate our organizations, we have to look at every avenue on how we're defined as an organization and the branding that goes along with that. And most importantly, in a world that consumers want digital solutions that are simple, that are fast, that are easy to implement, the last thing you want to do is refer your primary customers, be them consumers or small businesses, to an alternative that's going to be harder for them to work with to get their solution. Again, Stephen, thank you very much for being on the show today. Likewise, Jim. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform Solutions, our brand new extension of the Banking Transform podcast. If you enjoyed today's interview, please be sure to follow the show on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to give our show a five-star rating, and I'd really appreciate a review as well. Also, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out our research we are doing on digital transformation, retail banking innovation, the digital customer experience, and personalized in marketing. Also, be sure to subscribe to The Financial Brand to get updates as to every podcast we publish. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, audio engineer, Sean Will Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Maroos. Until next time, embrace change, take risks, and disrupt yourself. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.